Super Talk Mississippi media production. I'm Steve Azar, and I'm on the other side of the microphone, meaning I'm asking the questions this time, and oh, have mercy for the airwaves. I spent 20 years in Music City, wrote and made some hits, traveled the world, and then moved my family back to the birthplace of American music and where the magnolia trees prosper. And now every time I put my feet on Mississippi soil, when I'm off the road, well, I'm at peace. On this show, it's all about hearing the story straight from the mouths of the friends I've made along the way, their journey to success. Heck, there might be someone on, I don't even know, but you know how us Mississippi types are. We tend to take well to new company. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them. I'm Steve Azar. It's just like that muddy river moving slow. Ain't no worries, it's how life goes, baby. In a Mississippi Minute. That's right. You're listening to In a Mississippi Minute. I'm Steve Azar. In the Keep Mississippi Beautiful Studios. Don't forget, once we get through these trying times, and we will, an adventure in Mississippi will be waiting for you. Right there. Just go to visitmississippi.org to find out more. Johnson over to Ramsey. The Olympian off gets checked by Ramsey. McClanahan is there. The puck is still loose. 11 seconds. You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. Morrow up to Schultz. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Unbelievable. 40 years can represent a lot of things. I've written a whole lot of songs with that number. 40 days, 40 nights, 40 years, whatever. But don't make me go biblical. Today's guest, well, that means one thing, and that's the Miracle on Ice, which took place in Lake Placid. I can't believe I'm saying this 40 years ago, and in a time our country needed it most. Today's guest, the captain of the United States hockey team, that team did the unthinkable to the rest of the world, but not to themselves, and beat a Soviet team who was regarded as unbeatable. 20 men that came together, most from rival colleges under Herb Brooks, and still to this day owns the title of the most storybook ending in sports ever by winning gold at the 1980 Olympics. He was the captain of this team and scored the winning goal in that medal round. I'll never forget. I mean, I remember the couch I was sitting on, that chicken TV dinner I was eating and exploding out of the chair. I'm serious. He has a brand new book out as well, The Making of a Miracle, The Untold Story of It All, which you can get right now everywhere. And I can't wait to chat about this and all the rest with a man his pals Carl Rizzo, Boston's and America's finest, Michael Aruzioni. Hey, Steve. How you doing, buddy? Hey, pal. What's going on? I'm uh, just sitting here in my office at Boston University enjoying a beautiful sunny day oh, uh, in Boston. You guys so deserve it's, uh, Michael, you, you've been spending a lot of time with Boston University. That's been sort of your... Uh, what do you call it, like, I guess after the Olympics, you went straight to work with them, uh, a school that you played for. Um, have you been, uh, so what's your sort of job description there? You know, I've, I've been here, actually, I, I took, I didn't go right away because I was doing some broadcasting. I, you know, I, I, I did NHL games, I, I covered Olympic games for a few years. And then when my kids got a little older, I, I felt it was time just to kind of settle down a little, even though I, I, I really ne- have never settled down. But my job here is, my, my title is Director of Special Outreach. It's, it's almost an ambassador role, yeah. uh, Stevie. And I meet with students. I meet with recruits. Um, I do alumni events. I meet with high-end donors. Uh, so it's, it's really a, a variety of things. And, you know, they still give me the freedom to do um, all the other things that I do. I still do a lot of motivational speaking. Uh, that keeps me pretty busy. And then, 
as you and I know, uh, we run into each other every once in a while at these celebrity golf tournaments. So I'm yeah. still able to, still able to do some of that. Uh, so it's it's a really nice position for me, uh, and and I love being around the students and and the student athletes that we have here at school. I love it. I saw you guys on TV recently uh, doing the 40 years. Uh, I think everybody saw it. I, I went to the golf course afterwards uh, after it aired, and I uh, everybody was going. You see, they were watching. Well, they had been watching it in the in the clubhouse, you know, in the 19th hole. And right. I go, hey, guys, you know, I've been trying to get Rizzo to the Delta Soul for years. You know Rizzo? And I said, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but it's always a conflict. With what You got something going on with Boston University, and I totally understand. But the, the bottom line is uh, we met years ago, I think probably through Toretta. I'm thinking that's probably the place that yeah. you and I met, yep. Gino. Yeah, Gino's, at Gino's event. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, okay, look. I grew up a big fan of Kurt Russell big like like we loved kurt russell when i finally got to race against him in the bmw uh play golf against him and get to know him a little bit at the bmw i was like a little bit like oh my gosh because we were kids and watching this one show called used cars and we must have watched it 150 times our senior year i'm serious we knew every line so when he plays the role of coach herbrooks and all that i'm a little bit over sentimental to to that but Let's talk about, and I know you could be sick of talking about it, but you got to talk about it to us because nobody's heard it straight from your mouth uh, on this show. Just the making of that team, um, how real was uh, was Coach Herbrooks uh, tougher than he was portrayed? Uh, how real was the scenarios, the, the time you guys tied the – uh, the you know when you go overseas and again 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 you know the lights turning off in the arena again uh you you screaming michael ruzioni i play for the united states of america was that all real well let's let's first talk about kurt's performances her brooks he was absolutely amazing uh it was eerie watching him i mean he captured exactly what herb was about except in the movie he's a little friendlier uh, they, they softened Herb up, Herb, Herb up in the movie. So Kurt had a Kurt played a somewhat gentler uh, Herb Brooks, um, but he was amazing as as an actor in that particular role. Uh, and the scene in Norway, we did skate, but not all twenty guys skated. There was only sixteen of us that dressed that night, and then one guy got thrown out of the game for fighting. So there were only fifteen of us left, and we proceeded to do the Herbies, but we didn't do them fifteen guys at a time. We went five at a time. And then we did them in waves of 15 minutes, and then we'd stretch, and then we'd back and do them again, then we'd stretch, and then they shut the lights off in the building. <laughs> um, and we were out there for a little over an hour, hour and 15 minutes. And how the drill actually ended was guys were smashing their stick against the boards because we weren't really happy. And Herb said, uh, Mark Johnson smashed his stick against the glass, and Herb said, if I hear another damn stick break against the glass, you'll skate till you die. <laughs> well, <laughs> nobody said a word. And then we finished him up, and he brought us in the locker room. And we had to play Norway the next day in the morning. And he said, if you play this way again, you're going to skate again. Well, we went eight to nothing the next day. Yeah, you did. <laughs> so he, he, he got his point across. It was very well taken, and we understood uh, that if we weren't going to step out on the ace and play with respect, then uh, we were going to keep skating that way. So we learned a very valuable lesson uh, early in the season. When you were talking to Michael Arruzzioni, uh captain of the 1980 U.S. Olympic team, you guys, what I mean, what would you go through? What was the rigors of going through and being qualified to even try out for the Olympics? And 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 what was it truly like when you found out you had made the squad versus the film? Well, first of all, the process was they they had open tryouts 
uh, around the country uh, just because they had to cover their their asses, so to speak, to, to right. tow anyone that they had an opportunity to try out. Uh, and they narrowed it down. They invited 68 players from across the country to go to Colorado Springs in July. That was then called the Olympic Sports Festival. And they divided us up into four teams. And we played basically an Olympic tournament against each other. Um, and there was a gold medal game and, and the whole nine yards. It was a big deal. And throughout that two-week process, in the movie they had the team picked in one day, but it was two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> and two two weeks we compete against each other and Herb sat in the stands and basically evaluated the players and clearly going in he knew there were probably eight to ten or twelve guys that were gonna be on that team going in. Um and then we tried out and the tryouts were over, he selected twenty six players. And twenty six players made up the eighty Olympic team. Only twenty were gonna go to Lake Placid. Right. Uh so we knew so the tryouts were over in July and then we kinda went back home and, you know, worked out and got ready to, to go to camp, uh I think it was in October, uh, we went to Minneapolis. We were in a base out of Minnesota. And um, the first month, we went over to Europe and trained overseas because we were kind of, uh, one, getting to know each other, uh, although there were you know 13 kids on the team from Minnesota, so they kind of knew each other pretty yeah. well. <laughs> uh, but they were the Boston, Wisconsin, Michigan guys, uh, you know, that really didn't know them other than playing against them. So then, uh, you know, the process went uh, forward. We went over to Mini for, I mean, over to Europe for a month trained, uh, practiced, got used to playing on a big sheet of ice, which is the Olympic Games, learned a new style of hockey. Herb was going to change the way we played. He wanted us to get a blend of the European game and, and, and learn how to play that style, which is very, very different than we were playing in North American hockey. And then, uh, you know, the, 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 the month was over. We went back to Minneapolis and then embarked on about a 50-some-odd 60-game schedule uh, all across the country, barnstorming, playing wherever we could, played a lot of minor league teams. Uh, we played actually in the Central League. And it was a good idea for us because the games counted. Uh, the Central League teams, they couldn't just go out there and not try to play because the games counted in their standings. And I think we only lost one game, uh, wow. maybe two at best. So you so guys that, that you guys were process. you guys were good. You, you start, I mean, together. It started, as it came together, you guys were special. Did you know you were that special? You know, I, I didn't know how good we were going to be. Um, we were really young. It was, it was the youngest Olympic team we had ever put on the ice. Our average age was, I think, 21 and a half, 22 years old, I uh, I, I told this story yesterday. I think if we were in college hockey, our team was in college hockey, we'd be the youngest team in college hockey. So wow. that's how young our team that's was. Young. But, uh, you know, as, as the, the season went along, you know, we thought we had a pretty good hockey team. We didn't know how good, obviously, because we hadn't played against any of the Olympic competition yet. But uh, for us as a team, we, we were pretty confident, you know, going into the Olympic Games. It's like, and, and, I, and I tell this all the time, Steve, if you think you're going to lose, you probably will. So, you know, our mindset was let's play the games and let's see what happens. And as the games kept moving along, we kept winning. And, uh, again, our confidence level just getting greater and greater. Wow. We're talking to Michael Rizzioni here in a Mississippi Minute. I've been waiting a long time for this interview. We are listening to my man, his great story. So compelling, incredible piece of our history, Michael Rizzioni, in the Keep Mississippi Beautiful Studios and a Mississippi Minute. Thinking of you all today, wishing you the best. Once we get through these trying times, and we will, an adventure in Mississippi will be awaiting you. Just go to visitmississippi.org to find out more. We'll be right back. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. You're listening to In a Mississippi Minute. I'm Steve Azar. Don't forget that once we're past this outbreak, there will be some great things to do in Mississippi, from events to unique places to visit. 
Go to visitmississippi.org to find out more. I'm with my man, Michael Aruzioni, Rizzo, in the Keep Mississippi Beautiful studio. I tell you, man, uh, one of the greatest moments, well, the greatest moment to me in sports. Now, let me tell you something, Michael. If Tom Watson doesn't make bogey on 18 at the Brit- at the Open Championship, as they call now, if he doesn't, does that, and wins the Open at 58 years old, does that compare? I've always questioned that. Well, I'm sure it does to Tom. Um, I, I don't. I don't. Well, you know what? That was an would have been an incredible accomplishment. But I, I separate our moment um, from other sporting moments because it was the United States. Uh, we represented our country. Right. You know, when you watch Super Bowls, you, you know this year people loved Kansas City and people loved San Francisco, and some people didn't care. Uh, and, and even with respect to Tom and what an accomplishment that might have, would have been for him. There probably were other people who were rooting for, you know, other golfers in the tournament. Right, right, uh, right. <laughs> but I, I think in, in 1980, the whole country felt a part of us. They related to us. We represented them. We didn't represent Chicago or Boston or, or L.A. or, you know, Texas or anything like that. We represented the country. And I think that's what separated our mo- moment from other sporting events hey, that, hey, we, Ma- that we witness and watch. Michael, when did you feel that momentum from the country? Like when they really started to support you guys, uh, you know, the media is not the same as it was. Well, obviously, it's nuts now compared, you know, unless you read a paper or were watching uh, regular news, ABC, NBC, or CBS. You know what I'm saying? If you're watching TV, right. you know, the news didn't spread. I mean, like, when did you guys sense that everyone was on your side and, you, had, you know, just to help the spirit of the team and all that? Well, the funny thing is we weren't allowed to talk to the media during the Olympic Games, so we didn't know what was going on around us other than what was happening in Lake Placid. Uh, we had no clue the world or the country was watching the way they were. Um, you know, for us, it was a hockey game. And, you know, the people in Lake Placid were wild. They were exciting. The streets, people were singing God Bless America, and they were singing the Star Spangled Banner. And uh, That's where the USA-USA chants first started for our for our athletes representing the United States. So... We knew it was exciting in Lake Placid, but it wasn't until after the Olympic Games. When we got out into the countryside, President Carter uh, sent a plane to pick us up to take us to the White House. And when we landed in Washington, the streets were lined with people, three, four, five rows deep, mm-hmm. waving flags and with signs. And it was like, wow, this thing's pretty big. And, and now, 40 years later, we still realize, and, and it's not on the tip of people's tongues. I get that. I understand that. But when people talk sporting events and great sporting events, ours, still comes to the forefront. So it's something my teammates and I take great pride in knowing that it not only was a great moment for us, but for a nation at the same time. So we didn't know about it until we get out into the country. Hey, when did you, we're talking to Michael Ruzioni. Michael, when did you guys have time? You know, when is hockey season, for goodness sake, in college? Because you're talking about prime time. So what were the, the kids that were still in college? They were there to play for Minnesota or Boston or you or wherever. So were they just not right. playing on their teams at that point? Correct. Yeah, right. Well, I, Buzzy Snyder and I had graduated college already, so we were out. Uh, but the rest of the guys took a, took a year off from college or two years off. Some, some guys were sophomores or juniors. Uh, so they took the year off to come to the Olympic team. And after the Olympic Games, only one player, uh, Neil Broughton, uh, he went back to the University of Minnesota to, to play one more year. And actually, he, his first year back at Minnesota, he won what is the Heisman of Hockey. He won the Hobie Baker Award. And then after that, Neil turned pro with the Minnesota North Stars. But all the other guys on the team 
They gave up their college eligibility and turned pro. Uh, some in the United States, Canada, and, and a few guys went over to Europe to play. Were you still in good shape when you tried out for the team? Uh, I mean, obviously you made the team, but, you know, the movie, because I'm talking movie, because you and I haven't had this discussion, uh, right. portrays you as sort of an underdog, like when, uh, you know, when the Lou, whatever Lou's last name was at the NHL, you know, mark his name off the list. He doesn't have a shot in hell. You know what I'm saying? I mean, how real was that? Well, I think that's a little Hollywood. Um, you know, I went into the Olympic tryouts with the expectation of making the team. Um, I think people... And I don't know who these people might have been. Uh, right. Maybe thought I had I had no chance to play. Uh, clearly, if anybody looked at my college career, I, I was a graduated as a second all time leading scorer at Boston University. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I put up some pretty good numbers everywhere I played, so I was pretty confident in my abilities to, to make the team. And then uh, when the tryouts, you know, were held, I was the captain of the the team from uh, the Great Lakes team. They put me at a different team. And our team won the gold medal, and I led our team in scoring at the tryout. So right. there was never any doubt in my mind I was going to make that team. But why pick on you? What was the reason for you, you think? I have no idea. I never even – that's a great question. I never thought about that. Yeah. It'd be like, you know, leave me alone. Pick on someone else. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, maybe because I have broad shoulders. <laughs> I know. I love it. So O'Callaghan and McClanahan, right? So was, was there a, a, a little bit of a rub between those guys from past – was that real? No. no that, well, let me, I'll explain it this way. Again, you know, Hollywood takes a certain yeah. role and looks at it differently. McClanahan and O'Callaghan never had a fight. First of all, McClanahan never would have fought O'Callaghan. Verkota would have been a better character to fight Jack because Robbie wasn't a fighter. Why they put that scene in the movie was my junior year at Boston University in 1976. We played the University of Minnesota in the first round of the Frozen Four. Four minutes into the game, we had a bench-clearing brawl. I mean, both benches emptied. Police came on the ice. It was crazy. We always accused Herb Brooks of starting that fight because Herb was coaching Minnesota at the time. And after playing under Herb, I'm convinced he started that fight. <laughs> so it. two years later at the Olympic Festival, Team Minnesota and Team Massachusetts in the warm-ups had a bench-clearing brawl. So rather than go back and show the history and waste time on a film, they decided just to make it one little fight between McClanahan and O'Callaghan to show the past. Right between Minnesota and Massachusetts. So that's kind of how that thing came together. Let's talk about the Cliff Note version of your book, because I want to spend the next segment and a half talking about the making of a miracle. What took you so long to write it? I mean, something had to drive you to finally sit down and get it done. Well, it was it, one reason only, and, and I think I say this in the book, or maybe I, it's in the um, acknowledgments. I have, I have five grandkids now. My daughter has three boys. They're seven, six, and five. My son has a three-year-old boy and a seven-month-old girl. And about two years ago, the guy, Neil Bodette, who approached me about writing a book with me, he wanted to write a book with, with the whole 80 team 40 years later, you know, what they're doing, where they're going. And the guys on the team weren't interested. So then he said, what about you? And I thought about it. I said, you know what? Yeah, why don't I write a book? I said, and, and, and I wrote it for one reason only. I want my grandkids to know that Papa's life wasn't one game, one goal, one shot, one right. moment. I, I wanted my grandkids, when they get older and read it, to know about their great-grandmother and great-grandfather. I wanted them to know about my life, how I lived it, how I grew up, the environment I grew up in, how close my family was to me, how important they were to me, not just my siblings, but my cousins and the house I lived in. Uh, it was a pretty unique situation where 20 of us lived in one home, all cousins, all aunts and uncles. And then, obviously, how I got into Boston University. It was kind of just strange circumstances. Uh, how I ended up even on the Olympic team, I... Uh, I, I didn't know I was eligible. I thought I was a professional. 
so a lot of circumstances came together and were pieced together for me to be on that team. And I guess now to look at the life that I've led because of what happened in 1980 has been pretty amazing. So, uh, again, that's the basis of why the story was, the book was being written. Um, I'd like people to buy it, but if they don't want to buy it or read it, that's fine. I understand it, but my grandkids are going to read it, and I think they're going to enjoy it and, and, and know, like I said, that Papa didn't you know, have one shot and do one thing in his, in his life. Papa, Michael Arruzzioni. I love that. Well, that, if you don't want to read the book, you can do what I did for the ones that are have a little bit of attention deficit like me. Although I can multitask, I can do 11 things at one time. But reading has always been like, okay, uh, I've always made the excuse, Michael, that I that I write songs for a living. So, you know, I read what I write. That's dumb as it gets. And that, that only lasted for a little. That lasted with my kids when they were young, young. And now they're looking at me like, you need to work on that because dad that doesn't make you look smart but i got the audio version and it was awesome i would have loved it for you to be the one narrating that have been cool but uh but i get it we're with michael arruzzioni he's got a brand new book the making of a miracle if you guys were alive at all and breathing even if you weren't alive and you were breathing you remember the miracle on ice Back in the 1980 Olympics, we're celebrating my pal Rizzo right now in the Keep Mississippi Beautiful Studios. You guys have hockey. I know that. In Mississippi, we don't know much about it. Although we've learned, you know, being in Nashville, we had the Predators, and I got to understand it a little better. But we are the birthplace of American music. So, you get to play DJ. Michael, would you like to hear Elvis Presley or B.B. King? Elvis Presley. And he ain't nothing but a hound dog. We are with Michael Arruzzioni in the Keep Mississippi Beautiful Studios. I want to remind you, don't forget that this too shall pass. And once it does, a Mississippi adventure will be waiting there for you. Go to visitmississippi.org to find out more. Stand by. beginnings all the way back to 1943. Guarantee Bank has grown from offering the basic banking services and products to serving customers with a comprehensive, complete line of expertise and products only expected at much larger institutions. We are proud to be your local big-time bank. So when you're looking for a bank you can truly depend on and trust, and like me so many years ago trying to find my way around, let Guarantee Bank with its 17 convenient locations, help you on your journey and become a wonderful addition to your family like they have mine for over 30 years. Guarantee Bank, member FDIC. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Don't forget that once we're past this outbreak, there will be some great things to do in Mississippi from events to unique places to visit. Go to visitmississippi.org to find out more. I'm in the Keep Mississippi Beautiful Studios. I'm with a beautiful man and Michael Arruzzioni. It is Olympic season. It's time. Michael, what was the actual process 
especially when you're co-writing a book, getting together, collaborating, whatever you call it, just getting your schedules to sync up. Well, oh, yeah, over over time, it was probably two years, maybe a little less than two years. Well, that's not so bad. Uh, again, the, the kid, Neil Bodette, who wrote the book with me, was a Bosch University guy and a big hockey fan. He lived in Michigan. So, you know, it took him some time to, you know, he'd come to my hometown. He'd spend a lot of time with me and my family. He'd come to my 4th of July barbecues uh, and uh, get to know uh, my coaches that coach me and, and, and interview and talk to people. And basically, we, you know, he'd write a chapter. We'd write a chapter. I'd look at it. I'd change something. I'd read something different, write, re- rewrite something. But uh, for the most part, it just took time because you, you had to look at all the you know, I mean, you're trying to go back 40 years, and in my case, almost, you know, 60 years. So uh, trying to get stories and remember them and uh, see if they happen the exact way that I remember Yeah, them. That was the hardest yeah. part. <laughs> I know. I know. It gets tough for me at times. Okay, so you and Mark Johnson and Jim Craig, you did the 40-year the deal. You make a comment. There were two things that, that stuck out to me. One was they were talking about how heavy your puck hit the net, which means you must have thrown a, a heck of a fastball. Like, I mean, they like they were like, I saw them, you know. And then uh, the other thing is, you got all guys. You all said you haven't watched it. Like, come on, are you kidding me? That you guys have never, you, you guys all sat there and said, this is the first time I've seen the whole game since since then. Is that true? Yeah, well, I, I saw it once before uh, when I was writing the book with Neil. He wanted to watch the game with me, um, and that was about it. Uh, you know, I, the only tape I have the game, <laughs> and you're going to love this, it's a VHS yeah, tape. Yeah, you said that. And yeah. I, th- I think I threw my VHS machine away, <laughs> so I, I, I don't have a copy of the game, but I guess you can watch it on YouTube. Um, I, I never thought about watching it, and I, I kid about it. You know, I don't want to be sitting at home and watching the Russian game, and one of my friends shows up. You know, it's like, Mike, let it go. It's over, you know. <laughs> what are you watching this thing for? So I, I, I think I'll watch it probably one more time. Uh, in a few years when my grandkids, who are now skating, uh, get old enough to understand it, maybe I'd watch the game with them and they could, uh, you know, critique it with me. Your kids? Well, first of all, get back real quick. The heavy, the I think that's the word they use, how heavy it hit the net. You know, I'm thinking speed and power and velocity. Were you known for that? I could shoot pretty well. I, I was, uh, you know, like I said, in college, I almost, I think I had 98 goals in college uh, in four years, so... Uh, goal scoring was something that kind of came, you know, came along with my game. Uh, but I, I thought I could shoot the puck pretty well. I think I was more accurate than I was anything else. Yeah, I love that. All right, so your folks, like, take me back growing up for in your wonder years as a kid. The young, young Michael Rizzoni, I mean, you grew up probably playing a lot of hockey. What, what did your folks do? <laughs> well, my dad worked three jobs. Uh, my mother stayed home and took care of six kids. I had four sisters and a brother. Um, we lived in a three-family house. We lived on the second floor. Uh, upstairs was my mother's brother, who married my father's sister. <laughs> and there were five kids in that family. And on the first floor was my father's other sister. And there were three kids in that family. So there's a chapter in my book, I call it, uh, I think it's uh, Three Floors with No Doors. <laughs> and what it meant was if I didn't want to eat what my mother was eating, I'd go upstairs and have dinner with my aunt. Yeah. Uh, Christmases, holidays were outstanding. My dad was uh, was a, uh, a music, musician to some degree. I mean, he didn't travel, but he could play the guitar and he could play the harmonica like you couldn't believe. Uh, my sisters could all sing. My mother had a great voice. Believe it or not, I used to uh, sing in the choir in high school, but I kind of 
got away from that once I started playing more sports. So music was very much a part of our life. Uh, like I said, Christmas, Thanksgiving, Fourth of July, my dad would get that guitar out and he'd just play and we'd just sing. And, uh, you know, when I was a kid, you played every sport. I, I, hockey was something I just did in the wintertime. I played football in high school. That was my love and passion. And I, I played more baseball than any sport I played. Uh, and then hockey was something that just kind of fell into me at the, after, after high school. So, um, you know, it, it, when I was a kid, you played all the time. Right, you went right. outside and you played, played, you made up games. You know, we would play stickball, we'd play street hockey, we'd play flag football, we'd play wiffle ball. Uh, there was a game called half ball when I was a kid. You'd get a, like a, a white pimple ball and you'd cut it in half and you'd pitch it and you'd hit it with a broomstick handle. <laughs> uh, so games with games and competition was, uh, was my life. Yeah. You know, like I said, when my mother was pregnant, my aunts were pregnant. So I have cousins the same age as me growing up through school, went to high school with my cousins and we were always playing in the backyard and doing something. And then we all got kind of older. Uh, I had kids, my cousins had kids and our kids went to school together and, uh, Steve, you'll love this story. A few years ago, my uh, not a few years, my, my youngest is 31. And his senior year in high school, the high school baseball team, the starting nine, six of the starting nine were relatives in the family. Oh, come on. <laughs> come on. No, no, that's true. And we had we had a five-year run or six-year run. The outstanding student athlete in our high school was somebody who came out of the three-family house that I grew up in. So uh, wow. I lived a great life growing up that's and, so cool. and learned a lot about hard work and you know, like I said, my dad. My dad worked three jobs, and he, he took care of uh, took care of six kids. My my parents never went on an airplane. They never went on vacation. They never went out to dinner. Um, they only they, they just worked and, and took care of kids. And uh, you know, my dad lived a great life. He passed away at ninety four years old. Wow. And it was it was a year before he died. I went to visit him. He was at the, uh, the, the veterans home, and he had his harmonica and he played Lady of Spain. <laughs> And he didn't miss a note on harmonica. I was like blown away by it. Wow. So, uh, anyway, unfortunately, my mom passed away at a young age, and I think she was 75, 76. Oh, man. But, uh, you know, that's, that's the life I lived and the life I grew up. And again, a lot of that's in the book. You know, we were recently given a country music trail uh, to Jerry Lee Lewis at his house, and he had already, you know, he'd gone through some health issues, suffered a stroke, and he was singing and not missing a beat a note uh very frail you know but so wonderful and and just just to think you know you you talk about glenn campbell when he was going through what he was going through uh and obviously couldn't remember anything late in his life but he could get on stage and remember his songs and how to play them and sing them and that's just music is a crazy thing you know it's a crazy thing it's the thing that you don't don't forget somehow through it all it sort of sticks in your I think it just comes from deep within, from your heart and soul, and it just has nothing to do with your brain. Um, it's, it's interesting you talk about your dad being able to sit, play the harmonica and not miss a note. That's that's moving to me for sure. All right, as your kids grow up, we're talking to Michael Ruzioni. It's a brand new book. You got to check it out. The Making of a Miracle. I mean, if if you are alive and breathing, like I said, you've got to be the biggest fan of that team during a cold war that did supposedly the unthinkable to the world which uh, on paper it definitely was because of this team the team had had, had this lot this team lost in how many i mean how many consecutive games had they won did anybody beat them in 16 years well they they, they had won 40 consecutive games going into the olympic okay. games 40 i mean that's a run there i mean you know what i mean it's like ucla yes. 
anyway, but but deeper and bigger because of just the hostility and the, you know, you think about it, you know, Rocky Balboa, he's fighting, he's going to fight the Russian eventually, and it's always America versus Russia, you know, <laughs> in something. And I saw something <laughs> recently that was new, and there it was again. It was the Soviets again, and I said some things will never change. That that hockey team in Russia, I mean, like how when you got on the ice. Did you ever? I know you were competing against them, and you were you were in your zone. But was there ever a time that you were in awe at all? Ever? Like, go wow? No, I, I think when we played them earlier, uh, you know, I don't know if you remember, we played them a few days before the yeah, Olympics. Yeah, I remember. Uh, and we lost ten to three. And I, I think that was the night we just kind of stood around. I mean, I had played against the Soviets before. I knew how good they were. Uh, some of my teammates had never played against them. So I, I think we kind of stood around that night and watched them, at least after the first period. We were losing 6 to nothing, And then when we kind of got our game back and realized that, hey, we, you know, we can't watch, we got to play, uh, we played so much better in the second and third period against them. So I think we learned a lesson that night, and the second time we were in nowhere near awe of them. I'm Steve Azar, and you're listening to In a Mississippi Minute. I want to remind you, don't forget that this too shall pass. And once it does, a Mississippi adventure will be waiting there for you. Go to visitmississippi.org to find out more. I'm talking to my man, Michael Ruzioni, captain of the 1980 Miracle on Ice Olympic team, game-winning goal against the Soviets. We're going to wrap this thing up when we get back. Don't go nowhere. Because I'm the cold. beginnings all the way back to 1943. Guarantee Bank has grown from offering the basic banking services and products to serving customers with a comprehensive, complete line of expertise and products only expected at much larger institutions. We are proud to be your local big-time bank. So when you're looking for a bank you can truly depend on and trust, and like me so many years ago trying to find my way around, let Guarantee Bank with its 17 convenient locations, help you on your journey and become a wonderful addition to your family like they have mine for over 30 years. Guarantee Bank, member FDIC. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. You're listening to In a Mississippi Minute. I'm Steve Azar. Don't forget that once we're past this outbreak, there will be some great things to do in Mississippi from events to unique places to visit. Go to visitmississippi.org to find out more. I'm with my man, Michael Oruzioni, Rizzo, in the Keep Mississippi Beautiful studio. I'm looking forward to uh, seeing you somewhere down the road soon. Uh, I appreciate you spending a Mississippi Minute with me, Michael. Uh, your kids... You talk about athletically, obviously your family, <laughs> pretty dang athletic. And you also bring up the fact that you played all sports. Uh, you know, people are starting to spend, you know, kids are starting to spend way more time on one sport. They find it and they go with it. But when we grew up as kids, you had you did have to play everything. Um, uh, as football, football player, you were what? You were a tailback? 
A linebacker? I was, no, I was, I, I was a wide receiver, uh, backup quarterback, and uh, uh, defensive back. I just see you hitting people or running through people. That's just in my mind. <laughs> I, try, I try to avoid people. <laughs> <laughs> you smart man. So your kids growing up, uh, any college sports? Yeah, well, uh, you know, it's in my, again, my kids, it's an interesting uh, – my daughter was a cheerleader and did gymnastics. Uh, she didn't play anything in college. My older son, Michael, was a really good football, hockey, and track kid. And unfortunately for him, uh, and this is where I always kid my wife about it, and I think my kids had my athletic ability, but my wife's genes, because my son, Michael, his sophomore year, shattered his wrist playing hockey. He had plates and screws. And his senior year, he separated his shoulder. And then he went to prep school for a year. And uh, the last game of his football season, he was a really good tailback. He got tackled from behind and shattered his ankle. So they had to put 10 screws into his ankle. So he went to Boston University where I went, and, and he made the hockey team his freshman year. The coach was my coach. I think gave him an opportunity. But after shattering the ankle, he was never the same player. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was an awfully good high school athlete. Again, he was the outstanding student athlete in, in his high school. My youngest son was probably the best player. Uh, he was a, a golfer. He was a hockey player and a baseball player. And again, you know, uh, outstanding student athlete. He was the outstanding student athlete. He was the captain of three sports, as was my older son. And uh, he went to prep school for a year, another year postgraduate year, and he tore his adductor muscle off the bone oh. playing hockey. Oh. Oh. And he had a three-hour surgery to re- reattach it, and mm. he was never the same player. Yeah. Uh, he did go to college, played hockey a little his freshman year, but after about five games, the, the, the injury came back. So he, he, uh, he got out of the game. Yeah, he actually just became a fireman in my hometown, so I'm very happy wow, and proud love of him. It, love it, love it. He's done a great job, uh, and he's he's back. Uh, you know, he's back playing golf now. He can't really skate anymore or run because he used to be able to run. He had some great speed, but hey, that's what happens in life. And uh, you know, I've told my kids many times, I, I don't care what kind of athletes they were. It's more important to be a good kid and a good person. And I think I've got that. My my youngest son, like I said, is a fireman. My my middle son uh, sells real estate and works for a company down in, in Hartford, Connecticut. And my daughter, uh, she's a, she graduated from Boston University with a master's in, in a social work. She's a social worker. She's a real estate agent. Wow. She uh, she um, she runs the after-school drug program in my hometown for kids for drugs and helping kids, uh, you know, dealing with the issues that they have. So she she became the social worker and to save the world. And she's got the three boys that skate. And I tell you, and you'll love this story because they skate on Saturday and Sunday mornings at the Mike Ruzioni Center. <laughs> of course they do. Uh, and they, they, they don't know who Mike Ruzioni is. Uh, I'm, I'm Papa, so they, they still haven't figured out anything about me. And I told my daughter, I'm dreading the day they figure it out because I'm going to have to watch that Miracle movie. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, I'm, I'm right. watching like, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm watching like Thomas the Train and stuff like that. But they're going to figure this thing out at some point. Th- Thomas the Train fun. is still around, Michael? Oh yeah, oh, my goodness yeah. that train. We yeah. had them all. I even put a rink. I put a rink in my backyard this year, and although we had a very mild winter, uh, Christmas morning, my whole family, my brother, my sons, the grandkids, we were all skating out in the backyard having some fun. So uh, life life's been pretty good with grandkids. That's now. awesome. All right, we're talking to Michael Ruzioni. We're about to finish an entire Mississippi minute. People can hire you for speaking gigs. How do they do that? I mean, they have to come through me, well, obviously. I, no, I'm kidding. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. Uh, no, you know, I, a lot of speaker bureaus hire me, but they can call me at Boston University. I, I'm pretty low-key about it. I, I usually do 20 to 25 a year. 
so I'm, I'm still pretty busy with that, even though it's 40 years later. So it's uh, it's been fun, and uh, as I as I tell my wife and I tell my agent, it's going to end someday. The surprise has lasted 40 years, so when it ends, it ends, and it's been a good run. Because in our time, and probably the next generation, it'll never happen again, what we saw and witnessed and what you were a part of, a big part of. Uh, the funny thing is, you're the ambassador of Boston University, and I'm the music and culture ambassador of Mississippi. It's been, like, so cool for me. I've really enjoyed it, and I have to go out of the country uh, at, uh, every year, it looks like, but it's fine. I'm about to go to Brazil, and I'm excited about it. But it's great to be an ambassador, and now I'm doing some speaking gigs, so I'm, I'm following suit. I'm right behind you, and it's, it's been a lot of fun talking about my own, you know, situations, my successes, my roller coaster rides, my failures. When you can admit it, it's a beautiful thing and it's a it's uh when you're honest to people and get to tell that story all right my brother we've been with michael arruzzioni you're my man i'm looking forward to playing some golf down the road with you thanks for spending a mississippi minute with me steve always a pleasure pal say, say hi to all my country friends down there i Thank will dawn and the boys you, tell them hello you got it partner thinking of you all today wishing you the best once we get through these trying times and we will an adventure in mississippi will be awaiting you Go to visitmississippi.org to find out more. I'm Steve Azar. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them, where you can take your sweet time. News Mississippi, on air, online, and now on the brand new News Mississippi app. You can select the breaking news and weather alerts you want. Just look for News MS in the Apple App Store and on Google Play. That's News MS in the Apple App Store and on Google Play. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.